Happy New Year. Welcome to the first days of what could be your best year ever in your pursuit of God. This is the time to set your mind on things above, to focus your heart on deepening your spiritual rhythms. You know you want to. That's why you're here after all. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. Our team is standing by, waiting to help you discover the best path forward to deepening your spiritual roots. Whether you are here in the room or watching online, live or on demand at some point in the future. If you are visiting today, we want you to know that this is the kind of family that will enthusiastically welcome you as you are, with all of your questions and doubts, with all of your struggles and brokenness. Here, you can discover Jesus, find healing, and a community who will love you enough to spur you on to emotionally and spiritually healthy living. That's the journey we're on, too. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. I was uh, thinking about this uh, the other day. Uh, Since I turned 18 years old, I am pretty sure that I have either performed in or officiated at at least one wedding every single year, and often more than that. So if I do the math, that means that I've been an active participant of at least 35 weddings, but probably closer to 50. And that doesn't even begin to count the number of weddings that I've just attended. Uh, uh, Just as a guest, that's a lot of I do's. Have you ever been around a young couple in love before their wedding? Many of us are probably too old to remember our own in love before our weddings. You know, they're in that super sweet, schmaltzy, he's my everything, she's my everything phase of their storybook relationship, looking at each other with goo-goo eyes. You complete me. You had me at hello. Uh, Neither one can do any wrong. It's just cute. It's a little quirky, but adorable. Everyone around them is rolling their eyes behind their backs, (laughs) gagging a little bit in the back of their throats. And then they get married, and they enter their happily ever after. Only to find out they live with a slob who couldn't find the hamper if their life depended on it. I can't seem to brush their teeth without leaving the cap off of the toothpaste and spit in the sink. There are always dirty dishes in the kitchen, and no one likes to take out the garbage. But even worse than that, that cute little way she organized your life before the wedding now seems controlling and kills the spontaneity that you like in your life. And while he used to listen intently as you describe your day to him, now you might get a grunt while he's playing Minecraft with his friends for hour after hour after hour, and now you feel lonely. Does any of that sound familiar? (laughs) Relationships are hard work all 
relationships are hard work, whether it's with the love of your life, your boss, your friend, your colleague, even with strangers. Uh, many people experience bump after bump in their relationships, heartache, conflict, miscommunication, unhappiness, because uh, they live life unaware of how their own faulty beliefs get in the way of healthy intimacy with other people. We believe lies about others, and those lies do damage. Now, if you're just joining us today for the first time, we're three weeks into a series we've called Lies We Believe and the Truth That Sets Us Free. And we live in a world of lies. From birth, we are indoctrinated in lies because we live in a fallen, broken world that is the domain of the liar, Satan. He is the father of lies, and in him there is no truth. His sole focus is to halt the advance of God's work in the world around us, and most especially in the lives of those who have decided to follow Christ with their lives. We are His focus, because the rest of the world, by default, is already in bondage to His lies, already working to advance His kingdom. Even really good people, apart from Christ, work for His team. Uh, without the Holy Spirit, they lack the discernment to tell the difference between truth and lies. In fact, he's so good at what he does, which is twisting truth, uh, those in his kingdom think we are the liars. But we have been set free. Our spirits have come to life. We are no longer citizens of this world, but citizens of heaven waiting for moving day. And the Holy Spirit in us is in us on our journey to become like Christ. We're learning to believe like Jesus and think like Jesus and even, even as we learn to act like Jesus. And for all of that to happen, we have to unravel the lies that have been so skillfully woven throughout our lives. Lies that damage our view of ourselves, our, our view of others, our view of life, and they damage our view of God. In order to unravel those lies, we need to know what those lies are, and we need to know the truth. And knowing the lies isn't enough. There is very little power in simply knowing the lie. It is the truth that sets us free. It is in truth that we find the power to dispel the lies. As the source, uh, as the source of all truth, God has infused truth with His power. So each week we are glancing at one category of lies that damage us, just enough to help us identify how those lies have impacted us personally, and then we're focusing on two truths. And as I've said before, the truths we discuss each week might not specifically correlate to the lies we expose each week, and that's because the liar has often skillfully weaves the lies through multiple truths. So for us, the more truth we embrace, the more power we have to unravel the lies. Now, we've already looked at lies we believe about ourselves. Today, let's look at lies we believe about others, lies that wreak havoc in our relationships. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's just that morning phlegm. Uh, we've based this series on Chris Thurman's book, The Lies We Believe. He says, a lot of us wouldn't admit to believing the, the, these lies because they are so clearly unrealistic. 
Yet, if you look at the unhealthy ways people often interact with each other, it's clear that these lies are the underlying cause. So look beneath the surface. Look for clues that these lies impact you in the unhealthy relationships that are a part of your life, or even the unhealthy parts of your relationships, because even the most, even relationships that are mostly healthy can have pockets of unhealth. And those pockets can usually be traced back to a lie. So look for clues. First up, the first lie we believe about others is that people can meet all my emotional needs. People can meet all my emotional needs. And God has hardwired us with psychological needs. We have an innate need for attention. We need acceptance. We need appreciation, approval, affection, affirmation, comfort, encouragement. We need respect. Uh, we need understanding. We need security. Uh, around the church, uh, we abbreviate this list by lumping these, uh, these needs into two words, needed and known. God wired us to be needed and known. Now imagine for a moment that you have an emotional bucket. When we begin to build a relationship with someone, we can unhealthily look for that person to fill our bucket, which in a perfect world might be possible, but we don't live in a perfect world, do we? We live in a broken world filled with broken people, which would include us. We ourselves are broken. We should never forget that, which means that our bucket has holes. We leak. God wired us for a full bucket, but we leak. So we constantly need an infusion of needed and known in order to stay emotionally healthy. No single human being can keep our bucket full. No one person can meet all of our psychological needs. No one person can give us all of the attention, acceptance, affection, understanding, etc., that our souls long for, including your spouse. Didi can't meet 100% of my needs. I can't meet 100% of her needs. Often, especially in, uh, uh, often early on in marriage, especially in young couples, uh, they don't even think about this, and their world shrinks for a while until their buckets get empty. And let's be clear, empty buckets are dangerous buckets. When buckets get empty, there is a greater risk that we will find unhealthy ways to fill them. That's how affairs begin, addictions begin. Stay-at-home moms often have trouble keeping their buckets filled. They're stuck at home focused solely on precious little bucket suckers. <laughs> and then dad comes home and he bears the weight of meeting all of those unmet needs, which doesn't work for long, if at all, because no one person can meet all of your needs. Generally, men have a harder time keeping their buckets full, uh, harder than women. Women are usually better at building deep relationships than men are. According to the American Survey Center, 30 years ago, just over half of men, 55%, reported having six bro friendships. Today, that number is cut in half, and 15% of men report having no bros to connect with. In healthy relationships, people share a mutual commitment usually unspoken, of course, 
to fill each other's buckets as much as humanly possible. But neither person depends on the other to meet all of his or her emotional needs. There's nothing wrong with having emotional uh, and relational needs. God wired us this way, so we we don't have to apologize for it. But we should never expect one person to carry the weight of our neediness. To be healthy, we want to spread that around. We, We need to give permission for our spouses and friends and our kids to do the same. If you don't let them do it in healthy ways, they will find unhealthy ways. Ultimately, we have only one source to meet all of our needs. You know who that is. Paul very simply put it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God is the one who meets all of our needs, all of our physical needs and emotional needs, and he uses a variety of sources to do so. Spouses, friends, family, co-workers, bosses, because no one person can meet all of your emotional needs. The second lie we believe about others is that others should accept me just the way I am. Others should accept me just the way I am. Have you ever heard someone say, I've always been this way and I can't do anything about it. Or if you really love me, you would accept me for what I am and not try to change me. This is a really nice theory. But the truth is we all need to grow and change. And for the Christ follower, especially, that is what becoming like Christ requires. We put off the old and take on the new. That should be true in every part of our lives, including our relationships. In fact, that's why God gave us relationships in the first place. A marriage done right is the best tool in our arsenal to move us toward righteousness, to change our self-focused living into others-focused living. Children are a close second. But we don't stop there. This is true for all of our relationships. I think about it this way. God often uses other people as the sandpaper to rub off your rough rough edges and uses you as the sandpaper to rub off their rough edges. Sanding down the rough edges isn't fun for the sandy or the sander. (laughs) Nevertheless, relationships are a part of God's refining work in our lives. Yes, we should enthusiastically receive people as they present themselves to us. That is grace. But truth and love require that we lovingly push, cajole, pester, and challenge each other to become the very best emotionally, spiritually, and physically healthy people that we can be. That's how we grow into spiritual adults. Uh, One of the most important verses about relationships is found in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 17. It's familiar to many of us, so let's just say it out loud together. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Iron, sandpaper, however you look at it, we are better in, we become better in community. The staff and the elders have this kind of a relationship. A few months ago, I was out to lunch with our head elder, Richard. He was tired of the grind at work and the constant grind in our culture right now. Between you and me, he had a bad attitude. 
He was thinking of just quitting, selling his house and moving to Arizona in his RV to get away from it all. He didn't ask me what I thought, but I told him anyway. I gently told him that he was wrong, that his viewpoint was wrong and he needed to pray about it, which he did. And now he doesn't work for that grind of a company anymore. He owns it which is what iron does. Iron sharpens iron. So accept others as they are. Yes. Let them stay as they are. Definitely not. Our third lie is a huge lie keeping our culture in bondage right now. And that is to get along, everyone needs to think, feel, and act the same. But this lie doesn't just keep our culture in bondage. We struggle with this one too. We tend to surround ourselves with people who are just like us. We want all of our relationships to be easy, as if easy is the benchmark for a healthy relationship. In reality, we're just lazy. We want people to put up with our idiosyncrasies, but theirs drive us nuts. So we look for clones. We look for people who think, feel, and act just like us. You know, we can, if we really want to, get along with almost anyone, no matter how incompatible we are. We really could talk about politics and religion with everyone if we understood and accepted that we are all unique people with unique viewpoints. And it's okay to agree to disagree and still be friends. Every person has been uniquely made by God and has lived a life with different experiences than yours. There is more than one right way to do almost everything. And that's okay, you black and white, it's my way of the highway kind of people. And when, when Lexi was born, I spent the, two, the first two weeks at home and I, I changed as many diapers as I could. I had spent a lot of time around babies and had changed diapers before, but not many. When it's not your kid, guys just don't change diapers. They, get, they have lists for people like that. So I wanted to, to get comfortable. Uh, Dee Dee had her system, her process for changing diapers. It's a great system. It's patented. We get a quarter every time someone uses it. My system was different. And finally, I said, unless you want to be the only one who changes diapers in this home, let me do it my way. And she did. Uh, the fact that we all think, feel, and act differently makes life frustrating and challenging but it also makes it interesting, and it keeps us growing as well. We need to be thankful for our differences, not threatened by them, given that those differences make us better people in the long run. Lie number four, others are more messed up than me. Others are more messed up than we. You know, we want to be judged by our motives but we judge others by their actions. Let me repeat that. We want to be judged by our motives, but we judge other people by their actions. Now, let me give you a simple example. Have you ever been late? Of course you have. What goes through your mind when you are late to something? And maybe something like this, man, what a day I've had. My alarm went off at the wrong time and then there was no hot water for my shower. I had to go looking for the hairdryer and finally found it in the bottom of the toy box of my kid's room. 
my car keys weren't where I always put them, and then there was ice on the windshield. Grandpa wouldn't pull over and let me pass, so I was stuck going 25 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone, and you wouldn't believe the line of Starbucks. Someone took my usual parking spot, so I had to walk an extra block. You should be blessed that I am here at all. <laughs> I wanted to be on time, but all of these things were working against me. Judge me by my motive. But when Roger comes in late, what goes through your mind? That idiot is late again. There's no excuse. He's just wasting my time. How insensitive. You see, we want to be judged by our motives, but we judge others by their actions, leading us to believe the lie that others are more messed up than we are. We are all broken people, and we bring all of our brokenness with us into every relationship. We bring all of our strengths and weaknesses. Problems in our relationships are almost always the result of brokenness uh, of both parties. Very rarely is anything 100% his fault or 100% her fault. And even then, our response plays a key role in the healing of brokenness in relationships. But hurt often keeps us hanging on to hurt and unforgiveness and mistrust. The truth is, we are all broken in different ways, some more obvious than others. For relationships to work, we need to live the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, we don't get to use this verse as an excuse to stuff our feelings or avoid hard conversations or downplay things pretending that problems don't exist. We're also not called to be doormats. But it does mean we do have these conversations with humility, seeking the other person's best over our own. Healthy biblical love doesn't just let people get away with bad behavior, but frames the conversation with a balance of truth and love, grace and humility. Bringing us to our last lie, and that is that people who hurt me have to earn my forgiveness. People who hurt me have to earn my forgiveness. Uh, one of the biggest challenges relationally, one of the things that makes them very hard work at times, is our tendency to wound each other deeply. When we are wounded, especially in significant ways, it triggers the emotional part of your brain that floods you with hurt, anger, sadness, which makes it harder to calm down and respond maturely. There's nothing wrong with strong feelings, but they do make it harder to live out the biblical truth of Ephesians 4.26, which says, in your anger, do not sin. We are commanded to forgive others, period. If we want to follow Christ, we don't have a choice here. But most of us don't really understand what biblical forgiveness actually looks like. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. And we are broken people who want to receive grace, but aren't as good at giving grace, especially when we're hurt. And people aren't very good at apologizing or owning their crap. So we play God, 
and hold it over them like a weapon, waiting for them to atone for the hurt they caused us. We never really release them from the hurt, which damages the relationship and ultimately damages us because unforgiveness and bitterness and anger keep us in bondage and they infect our other relationships. Now, all of that's probably a sermon unto itself someday, but for now, these are the most common and most damaging lies we believe about others. God designed us for loving relationships. That's the truth that will set us free. So let's fight against all of that faulty thinking as we transition to our first truth of the day. There's no gain without pain. Watch this. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really good. It's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. 
You need them. <laughs> Are you a one marshmallow kind of a person or a two marshmallow kind of a person? <laughs> This video is based on an, uh, a 50-year-old experiment designed to study self-control and delay of gratification in young children. As you might expect, some of the children ate their marshmallow uh, as soon as the researcher left the room. Some of them lasted a few minutes, and about a third of the children were able to control their appetites and earn that glorious second marshmallow. When the researchers followed up on the kids later in life, those who had earned their second treat had higher SAT scores, did better academically, had fewer behavioral problems, a lower likelihood of obesity, had healthier reactions to stress, better social skills, and performed higher on other life measures. God wired us for pleasure. Our problem is that we have a difficult time postponing pleasure doing hard things first, and then being able to enjoy greater pleasures later. Uh, those of us who are older probably had parents who raised us by the delayed gratification method. Eat your veggies before dessert. Homework before chores. Uh, homework before TV, chores before play. Uh, while all of that probably helped us in the long run, we still want to eat ice cream before broccoli. Uh, when we regularly put instant gratification ahead of legitimate suffering, our lives don't go very well. Uh, pleasure ultimately becomes our master. We couldn't count the ways that we're tempted toward instant gratification. The enemy of our souls is good at what he does, and he knows how to customize the temptation to each one of us. But he has a, a very limited playbook that hasn't changed ever. He's using the same strategy he's always used. And we can summarize all of those temptations into three categories. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 together. There, John writes, Do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So three categories. Lust of the flesh, or the temptation to feel lust of the eyes, or the temptation to have, and the pride of life, or the temptation to be. Put another way, sex, success, and status. Satan is going to tempt you in your greatest strength. We tend to think about this backward. We think he goes for our greatest weakness. He doesn't need to go for that one. You do just fine all by yourself there. But he wants to ruin us, so he goes for the greatest strength. All of the Bible greats, from Jesus to Moses, Joseph to David, all of them were tempted in this same way. 
Jesus faced these three temptations after 40 days in the desert. And like I said, we know the enemy's playbook. It hasn't changed. He's not very creative. When giving in to these temptations becomes our way of life, nothing good happens. We become people who focus on our own pleasure. We do everything we can to avoid pain, uh, put play out of work, pursue thrills and excitement, become easily bored, and often uh, feel restless. There is always something better just around the corner. We become people like the people Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 3. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. To a certain degree, I think we all have areas of our lives that could be described this way, areas where we lack self-discipline. For me, it's sugar. I can't eat just one cookie. I want five. I can down a whole bag of M&Ms in one sitting. I want lots of frosting on my cake. Hey, I'm an equal opportunity sugaraholic. I don't care what it is. I just like sugar. I can't stop thinking about the marshmallows right here. (laughs) Who among us hasn't lusted after someone else's vacation home or car or freedom? Who among us hasn't wanted to be seen as someone more than we are? When I was just the worship pastor, it bugged me when someone said, oh, you're not the pastor. Oh, wait a minute. A worship pastor isn't less than a senior pastor. Don't be downgrading my status. (laughs) We are in great company. The Bible is filled with people who sinfully indulged in these three areas of temptation and paid a huge price for doing so. In fact, there are only a handful who didn't pay the price for self-gratification. Every day, we stand at the crossroads between loving the things of God or loving the things of this world. Which we will love the most is our choice to make. As we talked about in November, when we talked about money, no one can serve two masters. In the words of the great commander-in-chief, Joshua, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You will never instantly gratify yourself into spiritual adulthood. There is no easy button to spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity only comes after a long, slow road of obedience in the right direction. Spiritual maturity only comes after many deep valleys and many tall mountains. And while nobody likes to be in a valley, mountain climbing can be just as hard. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And He chooses the path of self-discipline for the journey which means we have to learn to delay the pleasures we want today that keep us from following Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in favor of the greater pleasures we will have in the future. Learning to say not now to the small distractions trains us to say not now to big distractions. And believe me, you're going to wish you hadn't got distracted on that day because this is all preparation for the next life. Our eternal responsibilities are being determined by the way we live right now. So we need to cultivate the spiritual fruit of self-control. But, this is important to note, it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, self 
self-control doesn't come from us. We need His help. There are lots of extra-biblical tools and methods that might help as well, and please explore those if it is appropriate for your situation. But even then, you'll still need the power of the Holy Spirit because you cannot say no to sin. Sin always wins. Making sin the focus, even with the best of intentions to avoid it, is the road to destruction. The more you focus on it, the more it consumes. That's what sin does. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us how to say yes to God. That way, He becomes bigger than the sin. So here's a good place to start. Try this the next time you are tempted. Pray this 30-second prayer. Father, right now, I am being tempted to meet a legitimate God-given need in an illegitimate way, a way outside of your best for me. Please unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in me to meet the, that need the way you want to. Amen. Try that and just see what happens. There is no gain without pain. It's, it's like building muscles. I've been experiencing this at the gym. In order to get bigger muscles, your smaller muscles have to rip and tear to make room. That's painful. But there is no gain without pain in any area of our life, from our relationships to our spiritual journey. Our second truth for today, love never fails. Love never fails. We talk a lot about love here at Dayspring, so I don't think I need to say as much about this truth as the last. Uh, if you are newer to Dayspring and missed our series in 1 John, how do you recognize a Christian? Uh, or you, you want a refresher, you might want to binge watch it. We, we really unpack love quite a bit in several of those messages. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 5.13. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. Biblical agape love is choosing not just not to do wrong, but instead choosing the best right in whatever situation. The bar is high, but that's our calling. Love is the highest expression of our faith in Christ. In fact, if I'm a Christ follower, I don't get to hate. It's not an option. And just to be clear, again from our first John series, hate is anything less than the best good from John's very black and white perspective. Hate would include indifference and passivity. It would include aggression and hostility. It would include passive aggressiveness and a host of other nesses, I'm sure. They all damage relationships and make it hard to be reconciled and at peace with others. Given that Satan is anti-love and anti-reconciliation, we're playing right into his hands when we take that route. And we don't really get to pick and choose who we love. Uh, let's look at one uh, of the most familiar passages, the most familiar parables of Jesus found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Uh, Jesus was approached by a lawyer. No offense to lawyers, but lawyers were the same then as lawyers now, very good with the nuances of the language of loopholes. Now, this lawyer asked Jesus how to have eternal life. Jesus turned the question around and asked the lawyer what the law said. 
to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Correct, Jesus confirmed. The lawyer got it right. Ah, but here comes the hunt for the loophole. His follow-up question to Jesus was, and just who is my neighbor? Now, Christ knew what he was getting at. He was trying to portray himself as genuinely righteous, uh, as a genuinely righteous person who wanted to love his neighbor. He just had a distorted view of love. So Jesus launched into this familiar passage. I'm going to summarize the story for the sake of time. You can read it later if you want. A man was traveling on a road to Jerusalem when he was attacked by robbers who stripped him of his clothes and beat him before they went away, leaving him for dead. Now, this road that Jesus was talking about was notorious for this kind of thing happening. In fact, it was called the way of blood. So everyone in his audience knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. A, a priest came upon the suffering victim. Instead of helping, he crosses to the other side of the road. A Levite, who would also have been a very religious person, did the same. Even though both knew, they both would have been familiar with the Jewish law to love thy neighbor. Then a Samaritan happened upon this poor traveler. A Samaritan? What is Jesus talking about? Samaritans were hated by the Jews and vice versa. Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds. They were the offspring of a Jew and a Gentile who had intermarried, which was against the law. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. They hated each other. What nerve for Jesus to even bring this up in front of a Jewish lawyer. Can you imagine what the people in Jesus' audience were thinking? This hated half-breed went over and above what you might think was appropriate. Uh, the final nail in the coffin, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Backed into a corner, there was clearly only one answer. The message of Christ was clear that day. This half-breed would be the one who inherited eternal life because he understood what it meant to love, to truly love your neighbors. And remember who's telling the story. Love in human form. The ultimate expression of loving your neighbor. Anytime we wonder what love should look like, we only need to look at Jesus and the example he set when he was here. As Chris Thurman says, Christ came to earth, found us half beaten to death by the enemy, had compassion on us, bandaged our wounds, and paid for our recovery by his death. Love like that. Love like that never fails. As we close, let's allow the prayer of Paul from Ephesians chapter 3 to shape our own prayers. <laughs> there he prays. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. Read that, self-discipline. With inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep 
his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. And to experience the love of Christ means that it has to be given away. It's not just something you receive, it's something you give away. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Let's pray. Father, help us to love like Jesus. Help us to love like Jesus. We are surrounded by people who are immersed in a lie uh, of what, about what love looks like, and it isn't anything good. It isn't anything biblical. Help us to lead the way to show people what love looks like, love like Jesus looks like. Father, give us the self-discipline. Unleash the Holy Spirit in each one of us to give us the self-discipline to do the hard things we need to do to become like Jesus. You know, I would guess that uh, almost all of us wouldn't have to think very hard to think of a relationship in our lives that's a bit challenged, a bit fractured, or a bit unhealthy. Father, in that relationship, we pray healing and wholeness, the fullness of joy. We pray that we would move toward each other in healthy ways that honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is proof of God's work in your life. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. This is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. It means a lot to me when you pass on the good news of Jesus to your friends and family. Until next week, may you experience God's favor and blessing in your life.